Hello and welcome everyone to Westside Christian Church. Today, John Wade is bringing the teaching to you. So grab a Bible and join us as we study God's Word together. of Satan, and I think it's time to fight back, don't you? Amen. The last few weeks we've been looking at Satan's favorite lies in the series, Do You Know Your Enemy?, and talking about who Satan is, how he attacks us, how he comes after us. Now it's our turn. How do we fight back? Now there's a very important distinction here. Satan is not conquered by us, but we fight against him. Satan has already been conquered and will ultimately be conquered by Christ, our King. The end is already written for Satan. The story already been played out. He's just a little stubborn. Doesn't seem to understand the ending. So how do we fight back? How do we fight a spiritual enemy like Satan? I told you... A sword, a gun, these things are physical tools. They don't help against a spiritual adversary. So how do we fight? Scripture tells us very clearly. A few months back, my family and I went to see the movie Captain America Civil War. Anybody see that movie? Really like it? Yeah, I like that movie. It's a good movie. It's pretty awesome. I won't give away the plot in case anyone hasn't seen it. No spoilers. But you probably got most of what I'm going to say from the commercials. Uh, There's a disagreement that takes place between Captain America and Iron Man. And the Avengers are split down the middle over who to follow, what side to be on. And uh, they split into these two factions. At one point, uh, Tony Stark, minus his full Iron Man suit, tries to take on an adversary using just one piece of the full suit. And it's a funny moment in the movie Uh, because his gauntlet glove blaster flies onto his hand, and he attempts to fight using just this one piece of his suit of armor, and it fails miserably. He gets tossed around, which is kind of a fun moment for me, because I was on Team Captain, (laughs) not on Team Iron Man. Um, So, anyway, uh, it was kind of a funny moment in the movie. He fails miserably using just this one piece of, of his suit of armor. He recognizes that his opponent is much stronger and it's too little too late. The gauntlet will not help him. He needs to be equipped with his full suit of armor if he's going to have any hope of putting up a real fight. And in the same way as Christians, we are constantly at war against an adversary that on our own and disarmed, we are entirely incapable of defeating This adversary, unlike our physical enemies, cannot be defeated by the conventional weapons of war. While we may be able to train our bodies and our minds for the physical conflicts that we will encounter in this world, no amount of physical preparation can make you ready in your soul to fight the spiritual battle that takes place. No amount of physical preparation can prepare us to fight against Satan. Now, don't misunderstand. Satan's not all-powerful. He is not all 
powerful, but he is very powerful. Understand that he is a supernatural being, and as natural beings, he possesses qualities that we do not. And make no mistake about it, he is very clever and devious in how he uses his abilities. He's smart. He's just evil. You ever seen movies or cartoons where there's an evil genius cackling wildly? He's an evil genius. He's brilliant. But he's evil. Scripture says that he is a murderer and a liar who hates mankind and will do anything to destroy mankind. That he stalks us like a lion. That he comes after us because we are image bearers of God. That we are beloved by God and so he naturally hates us. The last few weeks we've been talking exactly about that about the tactics that he uses, but we need to know the instruments of battle. Knowing our enemy is only half the battle, now we've got to equip ourselves. We have to arm ourselves in the fight. And there are weapons and armor we may draw from and equip to fight against our spiritual foe. And these are listed by none other than one of the greatest missionaries that ever lived, and perhaps the greatest theologian of all time, Paul of Tarsus. In his letter to the Christians in Ephesus, this passage is popularly known as the armor of God passage. It is a spiritual armory at our disposal, but rarely called upon by many modern Christians in the spiritual struggles and battles of our daily lives. We're going to be doing a two-part series on this armory, why it's important, how it helps, what we do with it. This series will hopefully prepare you practically, spiritually, with the tools to destroy the lies of Satan and help us achieve victory over daily temptation. Let's take a a look at what Paul has to say. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18, if you have a Bible. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. And it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which uh, you can extinguish the flaming arrows, all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. First and most important about this passage is what Paul opens with. He opens with this thought. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Who has the power? The Lord Lord does. God has the power. Not you, not me, not us. God possesses.
possesses the power. If you will try to stand against Satan on your own, you will fail every time. Every time. You cannot stand against Satan on your own. It must be the power of God that enables you and strengthens you or you will be overcome. You cannot stand on your own. You cannot fight on your own. You need the Lord, period. And then he gives us a command. Not only be strong in the Lord, but put on the full armor of God. Notice Paul doesn't say, pick your favorite piece of armor and use that. Paul says, put on the full suit of armor. So many times in life we don't prepare properly. We don't make ourselves ready. We're like Tony Stark with the one gauntlet trying to fight the battle. And we're failing and we're wondering why. A lack of preparation. A lack of suiting ourselves up in the armor for the fight. Maybe we do this because we're impatient. But the result is that many times... We fail, or at best, we accomplish very little because we have prepared, we have failed to prepare properly. Before you go into battle, you must prepare by putting on the full armor of God. And Paul says that phrase twice. That means it's really important. So let's talk about this armor. What is it? What is the armor of God? The armor is a set of intangible ideas and practices that help arm us and make us strong spiritually. The list of armor includes the belt of truth, the the breastplate of righteousness, the foot coverings of readiness, which come from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and my favorite, the sword of the spirit. I like swords. We're going to look at the first three today. And the last three next week. So let's get moving because we've got lots of ground to cover. And I know you've got lunch plans at Cracker Barrel afterwards. So, <laughs> the, belt, the belt of truth. Over the past few weeks I've told you over and over and over again that Satan is a liar. He's a liar. His main weapons that he uses against us are lies. And he tells us these lies over and over and over again because he knows if he can fool us, if he can trick us, if he can lead us away from the truth, he's won. He's won. His main weapons are lies. And they are very potent. I told you at one point during the last couple of weeks, ignorance is not bliss. As Christians, we cannot afford to be ignorant or even uneducated. It has nothing to do with how good a Christian you are. It has everything to do with preparing for spiritual warfare. We must arm ourselves with the belt of truth. So why is truth portrayed as a belt of all things? doesn't seem like a very important piece of the set of armor, does it? But think about it. What does belt do? I know some young people today don't have any concept of what a belt does because their pants are all the way down the floor. Listen, if you don't like belts, you can go the route of suspenders. They're highly fashionable. Oh, goodness. But for the rest of us, we know what a belt does. It's fairly obvious, right? It keeps our pants in the proper place. It keeps our shirt tucked in. 
It can also be used as a support device for various pieces of equipment, can it? You can carry uh, a little tool on your belt. If you're a police officer, you carry lots of tools on your belt. If you're Batman, you carry all kinds of sweet tools on your belt. I got a sweet bathrobe from my uh, father-in-law, I think two years ago. Uh, it's a Batman bathrobe, and the, the uh, belt for the bathrobe is the yellow utility belt of Batman. It's awesome. Awesome. I wear that bathrobe every morning because I can't really be Batman. But a belt helps in so many ways. It not only keeps the, the pants up, the shirt tucked in, it helps us carry stuff. A belt keeps things in their proper place. And it lends support for carrying the necessary tools. And truth is kind of like that in our lives, isn't it? Truth keeps things in their proper place. When we have a correct understanding of the world around us, it's much easier for everything to fit properly. When we have the truth that comes from God guiding and governing our lives, generally everything fit, tends to fit more correctly, doesn't it? I'm not saying that it will be easy. I'm not saying that everything suddenly becomes easy when you have the right perspective. No. It's not all going to be flowers and butterflies in life. But generally speaking, when you have the right perspective, when you have truth... Relationships go better. Work, play, service, all these things tend to be much more simple and joyful. Even in the midst of difficulties in life, the truth helps put things in perspective. And the truth is also like a belt in that when we know it, we are armed with the tools to defeat the lies of Satan. Nothing can hope to defeat a lie, especially a convenient, persuasive, or appealing lie, except for the truth. Without the truth, we cannot fight lies. We can't overcome ignorance. We can't even wear the rest of the armor because nothing will be in its proper place without truth. So what is truth? As Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Truth is reality. When we speak of facts, when we speak of truth in Christianity, we're talking about reality, both seen and unseen. It is the facts, plain and simple, that which corresponds with what actually exists and is actually real. So many people want to redefine truth that, oh, that can be true for you, but it's not true for me. That's not truth then! One of us is telling the truth and one of us is lying. One of us has facts, the other has fiction. Something cannot be both simultaneously true and false. They're contradictory. They are the polar opposites, the inverse of each other. So what are the facts then? What is reality then? The reality is this. There is a holy God. And this holy God you have wronged. You have sinned against. And I have too. But this God, for some reason, even in the depths of our sin, loves us. Don't ask me to explain it. There's no logical explanation for it. But he loves us, even in the midst of our sin. And this God wants to save. He wants to give you life. Satan wants to murder you. But God...
God has made a way for you to live. Satan is always trying to keep you from truth. God is always trying to give you truth, and that is truth. Seek truth. Seek facts. Know what is real, and you will be free. Next is the breastplate of righteousness. It's not, just a, it's not enough just to have the truth. There are lots of people who know the data. We need something more. It's amazing how little has really changed about our weaponry and arms in the last couple thousand years. In Paul's day in the first century A.D., Roman soldiers who were occupying Israel wore a, um, a breastplate that was called a, a cuirass. Uh, and it was typically made from bronze. Uh, a Greek historian uh, named uh, Polybius um, described these breastplates, um, saying that they were, quote, a bronze plate measuring a span every way, which they wear on their breasts and call a heart guard. Interesting, isn't it? In Greek, the word heart guard, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of it, is cardiophilix. I butchered that, but you get the idea. Cardio, heart, pertaining to the heart, heart guard. Today, our soldiers and police officers do the same thing, don't they? They wear heart guards. We don't call them breastplates, really. We have new fancy uh, things that we call them because they're a little bit different than the bronze that used to be worn. Ballistic armor, we call it that. And it's of various makes and designs, everything from Kevlar to ceramic plates, all kinds of cool things. We often just simply refer to it as bulletproof vests, but it's the same type of idea. While the projectile or weapon that is used against these protective garments is different and designed differently, the intended effect of stopping those same missiles and projectiles and weapons is the same, to stop it dead in its tracks, to prevent it from reaching the vital organs, the heart. Both the heart guard and the bulletproof vest were designed to protect your core, the center mass of your body, where most of your essential organs and muscles of your body are found. Like the name heart guard implies, the idea was to Guard your heart, the essential life-giving center mass of your being. In the ancient world, they may not have, they may not have had a complete understanding of anatomy, as, as complete an understanding of anatomy as we have. But they knew that there was something really important in the chest. That if you cut this open and you pry it open, there's something in there you can't live without. Okay? They knew that there was something inside of us that gave us life, that our life flowed from, that we couldn't live without. And it needed to be protected. When it comes to the spiritual armor that we're talking about, the idea is the same. We need something that will protect our spiritual center mass, our souls. But what is Righteousness. We understand the concept of breastplate. I think we all get the idea of a bulletproof vest. But what is righteousness? How do we practically put on righteousness? Some people say it's by doing righteous or good acts. But honestly, there's a whole lot of bad people who've done a few good things in their lives. 
There's a whole lot of bad people that have done a few righteous deeds in their lives. Does that make them righteous? No. It falls short of the biblical idea of righteousness. As Christians, we know that our righteousness does not come from our own good deeds. Our righteousness comes through Christ. When we believe in Jesus, when we trust in him, when we become Christians, we are given righteousness. It is credited to us even though we have not earned it. The perfect righteous person we could never be, Jesus Christ, God the Son, he was perfectly righteous on our behalf. His righteousness becomes ours as Christians. And we wear that righteousness as a heart guard over our souls, our innermost beings. And as Christians, the way we equip that is that we have to recognize that. That it is given to us. And we should make use of it. How? One of Satan's favorite lies, one of his heavily used tactics, is to come at you by saying, God could never love you. Remember we addressed this in a sermon? God could never love a sinner like you. You don't deserve God's love. You're guilty and dirty and worthless and you always will be. Those arrows that Satan fires at you are aimed right here. They are aimed right at center mass of your spiritual existence. They are aimed right at your heart. Because he knows if he can get just one in, that'll do it. That'll do it. If he can convince you that God could never love someone like you, man, he's won a huge victory. Don't believe that lie. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Know that you are righteous, not by what you've done, but by what he has done for you. By what Christ has done on your behalf. Unfortunately, many people have been hit by those arrows. Some people that you may know. And in their hopelessness, they became depressed. And in their depression, maybe they took their own lives. Many of us have friends that we know of that have done this. That they became so hopeless and so distraught and so convinced of their worthlessness that nobody could love them, especially not God. That they saw no point in continuing on. My friends, do not believe the lie. You are not hopeless because your hope does not rest on you. If it did, it would be hopeless. But our hope is not in ourselves. It's not in our own righteousness. It is in the living Lord Jesus. Make no mistake. In our deeds, in our words, in our thoughts, we are unrighteous. But Christ never sinned. He was righteous, truly and completely, through and through. And as a Christian, something happens when we receive Christ. We receive righteousness as a gift. It's credited to us, even though we've done nothing to get it. It's amazing. 
Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In dying for us, there is so much that is accomplished. I've told you before, volumes have been written about what the cross accomplishes. And one of the things is giving us righteousness. Put on that breastplate. Recognize that it's not your righteousness that saves you, it's Christ. Don't let Satan's arrows hit their marks. Protect yourself with that breastplate and remind yourself of that Romans passage often. Let's move on to the next piece. The foot coverings of readiness. One of the often neglected pieces of armor, one of the pieces that we choose very often not to put on are the foot coverings. It's an oft neglected piece of armor when we think about it. When you think of armor, you know, many of us would probably think of a breastplate, a shield, a sword, maybe even a helmet. Probably don't think of a belt or foot coverings very often, especially the feet, because it's the feet, right? Not a very big thing when it comes to the grand scheme of battle, you know? And yet, there's a lot of, a lot of mythology that focuses around uh, the importance of feet, aren't they? Ever heard the term Achilles' heel? Interesting story in mythology. Go look it up sometime. Achilles, great warrior, one of the greatest in mythology, taken as a baby and dipped into these special waters that made him impervious to um, practically everything. Couldn't be cut, couldn't be shot with an arrow, couldn't be bludgeoned. Everything except for his ankle where his mother dipped him into the waters. And by being shot in the ankle with an arrow, he was taken down. Now, of course, that's a myth. It's a funny little story. But it's interesting how one little weakness, one little spot where the armor doesn't cover, can bring down a great warrior. And I think the idea of the story is a very important one. We need the foot coverings of readiness. So what are these foot coverings? This oft-neglected piece of armor. Paul doesn't really use a specific term for the foot coverings here. They're just foot coverings. And that we are fitted, we are to be fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now even though a specific term isn't used here for the foot coverings, the importance of our feet being outfitted for the task at hand cannot be overstated. In battle, boots can make or break a war. While we may not think so, those who have been soldiers know this truth. When your feet are wet, it's miserable. When your feet are uncomfortable, day after day for months at a time, it can be really bad. In fact, it can kill you. You can develop infections because of wet feet for that long a period of time that can kill you. Boots can make or break a battle. I'm not talking about boots on the ground like our politicians talk of. I'm talking about the actual physical boots. Improper footgear can kill. There are actually pictures from World War II illustrating this fact. And it's a picture that for a long time was actually um, kept 
secret because uh, the government had it classified for whatever reason. Uh, and they released an edited version of it first. But then uh, when everything kind of became declassified, this picture resurfaced um, in its original form. And in this picture, you clearly see some very interesting things. And one of them is this, that soldiers were stripping the boots off of dead men. Why? Because they needed boots. They needed the shoes. So what does it mean for us? Why, what is this foot covering? What does that mean for us? The foot coverings of readiness. What are they? What do they do? What does it have to do with the gospel? Boots, sandals, foot coverings, whatever term we want to use. These items represent movement and action. The symbolism used in conjunction with the word readiness here means that as Christians, we should be prepared to go. That we should be ready to mobilize at any moment. To accomplish what though? Paul tells us. We must be ready to spread the gospel. Just as we overlook footwear when we think about weapons and armor, we also overlook in our Christian lives the importance of the gospel in spiritual warfare. You want to know a great way to win a war? Convince your enemies to become your allies. Kind of does away with the whole need for killing them, doesn't it? Now with Satan, that doesn't work very well. There's no convincing him. He's made up his mind. He's made his choice. But for human beings, there are opportunities for the gospel to do its work. We have the opportunity to present the gospel that they may hear the word of God and the Holy Spirit do the work that only he can do. I wonder how the battlefield would change in America. I wonder how significant an alteration it would be if we actually equipped ourselves with the gospel and were prepared to give an answer for why we believe what we believe if we actually knew what we believed and proclaimed it boldly and unashamedly, I think the landscape would change significantly. May I suggest to you that I think it is past time that the church started mobilizing to make converts from among the enemy forces. In fact, I don't really need to suggest it, do I? Because the Lord Jesus commands it. Matthew chapter 28 Verse 18 through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, that is a command and a promise. A command and a promise. Not a suggestion, not good advice. It is a command. Jesus says, make disciples. Make converts. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all I have commanded you. Those are instructions for all believers. Not just for preachers. Not just for pastors. Not just for elders. Everyone. Go and make disciples. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. 
maybe today you're here listening to this because of someone else who's done this in your life. They've mobilized. They've gone to you and said, listen, you need to know the truth. Maybe they've pestered you and they've poked you and they've prodded you to come to church, to hear about Jesus. That's good. Thank God for those people because they love you enough not to let you live in a lie. They love you enough not to let you live in a lie. They love you enough to risk friendship, to risk that you might hate them. You might despise them. You might walk away from them forever. They love you enough to say, you need this truth. It's essential. It's eternally important. Praise God for the person who pestered you to get you here today. It's so very funny. Growing up, I used to hear the joke all the time from preachers. That growing up, their parents would drag them to church. They'd always talk about, about yeah, oh, oh yeah, I was, I, was, I was a drug kid. I was drugged to church every Sunday morning. Honestly. Praise God for that. Praise God for you showing that you care enough about your children to get them here. Not because what I have to say is important. My words aren't important. When I speak from the Bible, though, those words are important. If you forget everything I say except for the scripture, praise God. You've heard what's important. Praise God for the people in our lives that have encouraged us to be here and to hear. Friends, those people have been on the front lines fighting for truth. Trying to encourage you and help you. And maybe you're curious today. You're wondering about all of this. Who's this Jesus? That you're talking about. What's the spiritual battle that's taking place? I encourage you, ask those questions. You have questions about Christianity? Bring them. We're not afraid of questions. We're not afraid of people who are curious. We encourage it. Ask your questions. If you want to know about Jesus, come find me. I want to tell you all about him if you don't know him. But maybe today you've been listening for a while and you know that what I've said is true. The Holy Spirit's been convicting you, saying, you're a sinner who needs my grace. You need forgiveness. And if that's you, don't deny the work that God is doing inside of you. Do not deny and suppress the work of the Spirit don't fight against God. It's a very ineffective thing, I promise you. Look at Paul's life. Why are you kicking against the goads, Paul? Jesus says. Kicking against the goads. Don't resist. God loves you. He wants you to know the truth. He wants to give you grace. To give you righteousness to continue to reveal to you truth. 
today we're going to have a time of decision. If you have been feeling that leading, if God has been working in your life to bring you to this place, don't resist him. This is the time to receive his grace and forgiveness and peace. If you're ready to receive it as a free gift, as we stand and sing, come forward. Why don't you stand with me? Thanks for joining us for the message today. If you would like more information about this and other teachings, or you'd just like to know more about Jesus, visit our website at wccjb.org or come visit us at 1405 Persimmon Ridge Road in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Check our website and Facebook page for service times. We hope you join us again and that we'll see you soon.